Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Cordro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. What is up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. This is a bonus episode that we decided to release. It's a conversation we had with Dr. Brendan Halloran, who was on episode 55, where we talked about innovation in, in, in the inflammatory bowel disease and talked a little bit about physician wellness. But we, we did a live show, a little live cast a few weeks back, and we really dove deep into physician wellness and, and how hard it is uh uh, to manage and how it's been a bit taboo and and so and we got a lot of po- positive feedback so I just honestly just want to release the show the audio is not fantastic and the beginning actually because I forgot to press the record button talks is and he's in the middle of talking about a, a friend that he lost about three years ago a colleague um, to suicide and so um, yeah I'm just we're just gonna start this thing up and I hope you enjoy it and uh, thanks for tuning in guys you know, we found him, uh, I found him actually, um, two days later, you know, a, a good friend of mine at the time had keys to his place and we, uh, were just going to check on him. We hadn't heard. So we found him so pretty traumatic, but he was uh, a really accomplished doc, uh, guy with like, a you know, on the outside, um, uh, really together, uh, doing well, you know, and, um, I think it was a struggle that, many of us missed. I mean, you see signs, but it's hard to, um, it's really hard to see it when you're that close. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it, it's really changed, um, the way I looked at medicine, uh, or the way I looked at, you know, the profession that I was in, um, in terms of the stresses that occur and, um, you know, how we view that and how we look at it. Cause I don't know, you're probably like me, you know, you come up through, um, residence, medical school and residency, and it's tough. You know, um, there's a lot of late nights, you're working hard. Um, and you kind of feel like that's part of it, that the stress and the pressure are part of what, um, you know, crystallizes you into the person you're going to be, the doc you're going to be, and it uh, galvanizes everything um, towards something that's really this hard steel, this thing that you can you're, you're really effective. Uh, but I didn't feel that we'd ever really been talked to very much about burnout and stress and the dangers of being in medicine and, um, how that the profession can really, um, push you to a place where you're, you feel isolated and you feel broken down. I think it's probably something people struggle with more than they say. And the profession's not always that kind, uh, to the people who need that support. And I, I know that in the past, I would tell you that I wasn't always that kind when I heard about people who needed that help. I didn't understand it, you know, and I think when you're really close to it, uh, your understanding changes and your feeling of compassion um, and, and understand kind of trying to understand everyone's struggle in medicine. um, It really changes. Uh, And I've, I've certainly seen things differently afterwards and I wish that I had, I wish I'd understood it a bit better coming through and that wellness and, um, that sort of stuff. But when I first heard about wellness and mindfulness, I, I just kind of blew it off, you know, early on. Like I just, I just wasn't bought in. I was like, Oh, what is this? You know, when my, uh, shout out to my sister, she used to talk about that stuff back in the day. And I was like, I, I come on, like, you know, time for this. Like we're you're busy, we're working. And so I felt like very much personally anyway, because of that experience um, and other personal experiences in my life with Ryan new docs who struggled very hard with this job. Um, it really changed how I viewed that. So yeah, it is the, it's a three year anniversary of a very close friend of mine who um, he, you know, medicine was part of the stresses in his life. You can't say it's the only thing, obviously there's preexisting stuff, but it, it, it led to, you know, his untimely exit. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, obviously once again, sorry that he, he, uh, he passed and uh, what was, was his name again? Ryan? Uh, it was uh, Maz. Maz. Sorry. Maz, sorry. Yeah. Um, 
and it, it it's just the thing that like, I guess is upsetting is that you 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 hear more and more stories like Maz, and you know I think we have collectively gotten smarter and wiser, and at least recognizing it's an issue. But as you said, when we were upstarts, man, this was non-existent talk. Like yeah. this is like you you put up your your, your wall, you put up your you front. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you didn't want to um, seem weak in the group. You don't want to be the yeah. person, you know, and, and I felt sometimes it wasn't even, it was so busy that you don't even have time to think about that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's how people get into various crutches in their life that, which are negative, whether mm-hmm. that's addiction, you know, whether that's um, toxicity in relationships, whether that's, you know, I've seen, I, th- I feel like, I don't know how you feel, but, I feel like I've seen friends go through absolutely every negative thing that you could go through because of partially because of the pressures in relation in, in this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that spans everything from, um, you know, self-harm uh, to the harm of others uh, to destructive behaviors and addictions. I've seen that whole gamut. And I, I just felt like that wasn't well communicated to us when we started. I mean, and none of it is, I mean, if, you know, you can't really tell someone what the job's going to be like. Um, but it also really wasn't said that this can be dangerous and you need to find mechanisms by which you ask for help and mechanisms by which you start to deal and manage all of this. Mm-hmm. But it's tough. You know, you juggle a lot of things. I'm, I'm sure other professions are no different, uh, business law, that sort of thing. It's just added a little bit in medicine is this idea that you take on depending on who you are, I suppose uh, you take on a lot of those tough conversations you have, the tough things you see people passing, people getting bad diagnosis. It's a stressful thing. I mean, you work on both ends of it. You know, you work yeah. in the ICU where you're intensely trying to, you know, push people in one direction and then in palliative care where you're walking them out the other side. So I think you probably have a very unique perspective in, in that area um, yeah. uh, you know, because it- of, what's, of what that is. But Absolutely. One thing though, I, I, I still is a clear memory to me because you're, you're saying like we have people had a lot of destruction, destructive behaviors is a common thread was like people would just do everything they could to escape. Some people would have like, it would be some, you know, it would be like online gambling. It would be getting blitz drunk on a weekend. It would be binge eating. Like it's, as you said, it was clear that this was a problem among us. Like, and it's, as you said, like, the job is crazy when you think about it. Like, residency especially is crazy. Like, the mm-hmm. hours are insane, okay? The pressure to perform and to save face all the time, like, you got to please your preceptor. you got to make sure you look good so you can get into your fellowship. you got to study for exams and all these things. you got to avoid conflict with allied health, with your supervisors, with your other crew. Like I'll, I'll, in hindsight, when I look back at, you know, all aspects of life, this was, that was some of the toughest times, like going through as an internal medicine resident, going, you know, going through your 28 hour shift with hardly any sleep and knowing you got to like front and, and put up this, this facade. And, and, you know, it's, it's not like you could go to your, fr- it wasn't, I don't know about you, but I didn't feel that comfortable going up to my colleagues and saying, man, this is really tough. I don't know how we all do this or whatever. And as you said, if we, if that was a, if that was more of a part of the discussion, if it was, if we were more aware of that, I think there, a lot of people could have been better off. Yeah. I think it would have hopefully, it, you know, it's hard to know. Maybe you can escape some of the negative things that happen and people, um, you know, they, they move into destructive things as the pressures are high. Um, I certainly think that having, social circles that you can really interact in and blow off some semen. It's that stuff can work itself into problematic behavior. Obviously, you know, like I remember the big thing was in medical school, you know, you finished an exam and everyone out there there was a big party that night, right? Like it was a big thing. Um, And I remember residency being a time where, yeah, you know, you worked really hard during the week and we went out really hard during the weekends and that was what you did. Um, But it didn't leave a lot of, um, rope for recovery always. Mm-hmm. Um, but you felt that that was the, that was the gig. And, um, I think especially it becomes difficult because like you said, residency is tough, but 
you know, there's this idea that a lot of the residents have is that, you know, well, wait, wait till I'm done. You know, yes. it's going to get better. And, and it's a hard thing. I remember one of the staff people sitting down with me uh, and he was like, oh man, it, it doesn't get better. You know, you got to learn how to work through this stuff and, and deal with it because the actual decisions you make are going to become more intense and your responsibility grows and that pressure will ramp. And so, you know, I, that was a interesting moment, you know, they, this, you have to learn, this is not a sprint, right? And this idea that you're going to be able to kind of really bully your way through that residency and you're going to be at a place that's all of a sudden relaxed and calm, it's, that doesn't happen. You enter a new set of challenges, whether you're in a private practice or you're in an academic program or you're in a high intensity field. Um, I think that pressure continues and you, you need to, to learn how to really start to cope with things and, and build a life or build things in your life that can help buffer that. But I think that's, it's really difficult. I don't say that as someone who's an expert in that. I say that as someone who I, I think that I've seen um, both in my own personal life and other, others, the, the need for that, that you really need that. Yeah. It's funny. As you said that you, you start to, you look back at your career and, and you know, I'm, in my 10th or 11th year of practice or whatever. And if you think about when you've become significantly more comfortable in your own skin, like at work and like the pressure seems less like that. It's true. It's not the day you finish residency or, or uh, fellowship that there's uh there's still some stones to, to walk through. I don't know if that's an expression. Stones Over to turn, turn. Turn. Yeah. Turn. Yeah. Turn, turn, turn. <laughs> um, but you, you, you make a, a still a good point. If, if the kids like this is one of my goals. This is one of the projects that we're gonna get you on that I'm telling, gonna tell you about solving wellness. But like teaching the kids early on coping skills. Or like the fact that, you know, like just be aware of some of the stuff that you might find helpful. Like, and cause you know, obviously no, it's like going to be different for everybody, whether that's going to be, you know, through your exercise, through your meditation, through ensuring you have adequate sleep, uh, whatever, what you eat. I'm, I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this, but I think the exercise. I mean, in some ways, squad, I think that like you've done, a really good you've always maintained a good job and you know i i think that as someone from the outside anyway and no one's life's perfect but i think you're someone who who has walked uh, a pretty strong path in how you've managed your health and your family and, and these kind of things so i i think you do have a you you know you're a success story in that in that in that regard right i mean um and anybody who makes it through is a bit of a success story. Um, but I, I think you've done a good job with that. And I think even the idea that you've launched this whole um, uh, podcast is something that I was talking to someone yesterday about it. Um, and I said, yeah, my friend's done this really great medical pod podcast. And, and it's not just that he loves his own voice. Uh, it, it really has to do with, I think, creating a great dialogue between the medical system and the public. And you know, when me and you talk about stuff, I, we, we don't see eye to eye on everything that nobody does, but I, I love the fact that you're having that conversation. So even I'll hear something and I'll be like, I, I don't know about that, but I always love that you're having it. And I think a big problem with medicine as we've grown and the world's changed, information's changed, it's trafficked differently, Facebook, you know, this idea of research, has been, you know, YouTube videos from you know, some guy named Dylan, who's got a real strong idea about COVID coming out of the cell phone tower. <laughs> Dylan like, Anderson again. <laughs> and like, but you know, that part of the problem is medicine doesn't do a good job. Like Western, whatever, you know, whatever that means, Western yeah. medicine and, and the scientific side of things, you know, it, it hasn't done a good job of engaging the public. And, you know, when I think that the, the, the way you reach people is by having those great kind of podcasts and things where people can come and listen to a story. They can come and hear approachable conversations about things. And I think that's been really, really big um, for the stuff that you've done. So, you know, I, I, I really think that I no, I think it's, it's huge, man, because you don't want, you know, launching a podcast that doctors listens to 
is useless. Launching a podcast that people can come to and listen to and approach this information because, you know, like you said, when this pandemic started and that sort of thing, everyone was getting into arguments, you know, like it's frustrating because you're trying to explain this, but you know what? Part of it is, I think, the job of our profession to not be frustrated and to just continue to be calm and reiterate these things and say, listen, this is why. Like, just don't get mad. And, and I think podcasts like yours are, are a big step towards that because it, it really brings um, people into a field where they, they don't feel um, like they're being spoken to. They can feel, feel part of the dialogue. Wow, Brenda, man, that's like the best compliment you've thrown down in since 2001. Well, I mean, literally, you wrote that paragraph and sent it to me before this thank podcast. You so for, <laughs> thank you for doing that. I do owe you $6.83. I was going to say $3,500, but you said six bucks, which to be honest, man, over here on an academic salary, yeah, I'll take it. I, yeah, I mean, you'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. The $6. We'll, the $6 I, you know? I will courier that to you. I will uh, e-transfer that to you immediately. Yes. Um, I'm happy to get it. But honestly, like, thank you. Cause like, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it, we just started this cause like some had to change. Like I, it's amazing how like at so many levels, this might not be what we're talking about directly, but just so much stuff. So, so much good stuff happening, so much good knowledge, so much good science mm-hmm. and nothing changes. There's, and if you got to ask yourself, if you, if nothing's changing, you got to shake it up somehow. So whether that's engaging the public, whether that's, you know, whether it's a podcast using more social media platform, I don't know. But when you got stuff that you know is effective, like, you know, that we could improve healthcare, we could save uh, healthcare dollars, we could better inform people about COVID, whatever it might be, like, we, we got to think about a, a better ways to do it. So I mean, that was a, a huge driver on on this. And I um, I, I got to tell you that Brenda, like this, this whole platform thing ha- has changed my life. Like literally changed my life. We, you know, we started doing the show and then, um, you know, we like starting from the charities that we were able to, to, to initiate the speaking, like being able to be vocal about black lives matter, like some, a platform I've been my whole life. It feels like I've been waiting to say something. And all of a sudden I get that, you know, a, a municipal, provincial, national stage to be able to say, hey, this is this is the struggle. This is, the, and it's real. Like all these like um, blessings that, uh, that have come through this yeah. jo- job opportunity, like everything. And it's, it's been really, it's been really special. And having my boy Brenda on the show <laughs> to be able to dance with it, <laughs> oh my god it's it fun to get to hear your voice all the time you know it's, just oh like, it's funny what you say I miss that i miss that in my life you know <laughs> but like people like literally like we said it on the podcast but i'm gonna just bust this out for people that didn't get a chance to listen it's like episode 53 or some shit like that um <laughs> like me and brenda like there was no frontal lobe at all so like we were in the, in the middle of the cafeteria okay talking about the best spooning techniques and what you do with your arm when you spoon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, which is a legit question. Like what are you going to do with that? It's more legit for you because you like to be the big spoon. And yeah, I mean, man, just, I'm going to be that's big spoon. That's not, not my preferred position. No, I, I hear you. But as a big spoonologist, this is a serious conversation. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that arm? I think what are you going to do with that? It so slides that, under the neck. It slides under the neck, but then, I mean, if you got a heavy neck the or a heavy head. The pillow has to be moved down slightly to accommodate. Yeah, because well, you don't want too much pressure. You don't want to get that, like, dead arm and shit. So, like, that's what I'm saying. So, we go on, on the uh, cafeteria table, I believe. We wouldn't go on that floor because of um, all the uh, Yeah, I think the states. year was 2002. 2002, that would be correct. And so, yeah, we were like, I don't give a damn. Let's work this out. We need to work this out. <laughs> in front of many a folk, including preceptors who I think later on failed us for good reason. We were going pass anyway, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, make, like that, that, yeah. make that grad year 2006, dog. I'll just, I'll just go back I, a year. You know, I, you know, I think that that kind of thing, I think that there is something um, in all of that and moving forward to having a friendly face in medicine and trying to approach things um, in a different way that you can bring uh, humor and humanity to medical discussions 
Um, and that's, I'm, I, I think patients and the public and other physicians, I, I mean, that, that is a big thing, right? You know that work, uh, you survive because of humor and you survive because of your ability to laugh at dark times and in dark places. And um, I think that, and sometimes, you know, that, that does throw the public off. Um, the, but you have to understand that I think that that's a big survival technique for, in medicine. Oh, and, that, and, and But also patients love it. Like when they're brought into that and they understand what's going on, and, you know, when you can laugh with someone that you're, you're treating or someone that you're, you've got a therapeutic relationship with, I think they love that. You know, your patients start to feel like, um, you know, they feel like family. Like when I see people, I, I, it's like, I, you know, a lot of my patients, when they come to see me, I, I feel like, oh, this is someone that I know. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? How's, how's yes. this going? And, Authenticity, man. Authenticity. This is, this is what I preach to the kids too. It's like, if you, you don't want to lose yourself in medicine because it's so easy. You, you always, you got to put on different personalities and so on. So like, yeah, this is a ticket to having that wellness piece. And I, I kind of gauge how life is going actually by like how often I'm laughing. Cause this is one thing I miss about Brendan is like, (laughs) <laughs> the same sometimes <laughs> we don't even have to say anything it's just to share that look yeah you i was I mean? about, uh, that well i remember that we we walked into whose wedding was it that we were at? oh O'Sheen's? Was it O'Sheen's? it might have been and i don't he'll never tell you that shout out O'Sheen, uh <laughs> whose name i've never said correctly because he just won't O'Sheen. let me O'Sheen. he's like O'Sheen. it's like yeah. a washing machine and then i say it that way he's like no no, uh, I but we walked into that wedding. I remember I hadn't seen you for a little bit, and I we I sat down in front of you, uh, <laughs> and I just turned around to look at you and to say something, and then you started laughing so hard. Your wife was just <laughs> she's like she told us to stop it. She's like you guys gonna need to stop right now, and we hadn't said a thing. Like I hadn't said anything. I just turned around, and you were, you just lost it. Yeah, because you turned around something like this. oh sorry, you you turned around something like this. You were doing like you were. Like, I don't think that I had anything particular to say, but I was going to say something, you know? Oh my God. But that is a classic. Like, uh, I mean, that's a beautiful thing is like, whenever we connect again, it's always, always smiles and giggles. But that's, I mean, like I said, in life, I don't, you know, to, to recreate some of the, ensure that you got that lighter side and, uh, that person you could uh, shoot the shit with is it's, it's so important, and, you know, especially that, in our field. And that's hard. I mean, I think that, you know, you're really lucky when you have people around you like that uh, and not everyone has that. And so I think that's, that's another struggle, right? When you find yourself in personal spots in medicine um, with people that you don't connect with that way and you don't have that sense. And that's another thing that we're not taught a lot of uh, in medicine. I think it probably is something that needs needs a lot of work is conflict resolution and how you interact on the day to day and um, how you acquiesce to uh, the people around you and uh, those demands and and when when the opinions don't mesh um, because everybody in medicine feels they're right all the time. Uh, oh and, man! And and you've got to you've got to be able to find common ground and I think that's something that's hard you know because you work so hard on developing your acumen and your opinions and all that sort of thing. But being open, I think is a big thing. You know, like we, we always try to teach the residents that, you know, decide on what you want to do. You got to be definitive, but you also have to be open to the fact that you're wrong, you know, that you could be wrong. And that once that happens, you have to redirect. So you let the evidence guide you, but you also have to listen to other people and what's happening around you, whether that's another doctor, another nurse, another allied health professional, whoever, or the patient themselves, Uh, you have to listen. That's hard. And and ego ego is the enemy. I hate to tell you, like, you got to let that go. You've, there's a lot of fronting in medicine. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not taking that patient. I'm going to be territorial. I'm going to show who's got the, 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 the biggest like gumption. I don't know if that's a word either. I know what you wanted to say, but you, I know, I know. I just, I'm trying to be PC and kids. Live, 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 live feed. Um, (laughs) but, uh, Man, I could not agree more, man. That that humility, like, is everything for patient care, for sure. But also, you know, like, just to be respected, as far as I'm concerned. Like, I will way rather, I would have much more respect for the person, that the physician or clinician that's making the right call, despite it being against their initial plans or what have you. Um, 
but you also brought up a good point about like trying to navigate when when there's like the conflict resolution stuff that's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a really good point you make because there's an art to that that is not ever taught actually and um you know i've i, I always encourage my uh my my students and residents to read negotiation books actually so there's uh getting to yes is probably the most common cited one which is more it's probably more suited for medicine and then there's um never split the difference by chris voss which is like the one that you want for getting your car negotiating your contract i think it's less it's more cutthroat but regardless these principles life skills that will truly um allow you to have a more solid career, more uh, authentic uh, interaction with your, with your colleagues. It's, um, it's, but it's true. You, all these little things in, in, in medicine are, where it's like a big part of your job, but you get yeah. no training in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just don't have that skill. You know, I read um, kind of getting back to all the wellness stuff um, when uh, I was um, really, you know, having trouble after uh, my friend passed away and uh, things were not going well and I was having trouble. I just really, work was difficult. Um, a very good friend of mine gave me the book, um, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Oh, so, I, read, I listened to that one. Yeah, I think it's Mark Manson. Mark Manson, yeah. Yeah, and you know, the whole book is really good um, and I really enjoyed it. Some people I've talked to, they said they didn't get much out of it. I thought it was really, really great. But the biggest thing that I came out of that book um, was there's a statement in there where he says, consider the fact that you might be wrong. Yes. And, you know, I've took, taken that statement. And when you put that in any position in your life, there's not a part of your life. You can't put that in that it won't enhance because mm. it doesn't matter the argument you're having, the fight you're having, you know, feeling hard done by something anywhere where you put that statement, it introduces some doubt into your life. The doubt that's positive, you know, that you think, wait a minute. Okay. I'm so sure of all this, but if you do that, it softens your conversations. It softens, um, you know, your interactions and you start to think, okay, well, how else, you know, how, how can I approach this differently? And, and maybe this, this isn't as clear cut as I'm making it. And I really found that statement to be the most profound thing in that whole book which was, I felt at the time, especially for me, was no matter how upset I was at anyone in my life, you know, and some of that stuff came out of places of sadness and depression. And, you know, um, it really changed the way I interacted. And then having gone through something where you lose someone who's close to you, as many people have, and, you know, in such a sudden way, it also made me realize that a lot of the ways we interact, depression is a, is a lot of anger. And, yes. um, and when, and people who act in an angry way often have that sadness. And so I started to feel that when I was at work and someone was clipped, you know, or they were, you know, short with me, or they were angry about something, you know, whatever it was, whether it was a consult or an opinion or, you know, um, a nursing staff somewhere or anything, I started to think, um, I wonder what's going on in their life, that that's the way you're reacting to that thing. And when you start to do that, I think that you really start to say, okay, first of all, it's probably not that big a deal that I need to get up and, and react because there's not an argument I've ever won in a hospital that I felt good about right? Yeah. at work. Like you get into it with somebody, you're, you're going to tell them what's up. You're going to tell them all stuff. You never feel good about it. It never ends well. I always just end up feeling like a jerk for arguing at all. And I also think that when you soften it and say, A, am I wrong? And B, maybe there's more behind their reaction than just um, this interaction that there's other things happening to them. You never know. And so I felt when I took that to work and I, I had to deal with that and I, I watched the way I interacted, which wasn't always fair with people. I started to think that if you can take that and think to, about whenever someone's having trouble, their struggle might come through as irritation. It might come through as anger. It may come through as all these things. And you, I think you really have to be cognizant of that because everybody's going through their struggle. You might be going through it right now, but someone, someone other time, someone else, everyone gets their turn. And so you have to really bring that through. And I think that's a big part of wellness is understanding that you are not alone in this, that there's a connectivity, but you also have to respect other people's struggle and their, um, 
and the fact that they're in a fight all the time and they're, they're having trouble, you know? So I, that, that helped me a lot anyway, to kind of think about those things. That's a, a really, really good point. Like a, a flip in perspective and realizing that, you know, it's that person that's angry on the other side. It's not about you. Almost no. always. It's <laughs> not about yeah, you. Yeah, That's the thing. Like there's, especially when you feel like it's, whether they're tense about the amount of work that they have to do or the consults piling up or, you know, in medicine, the hardest thing I think is that um, we sometimes at work get into a, I, I don't know, the, the idea is lost that we're all on the same side. Mm-hmm. That this is, this is a real fight against, you know, aging and disease and... Um, Syphilis. Um, <laughs> every day. <laughs> every day. Um, but you sure. know, <laughs> but you, uh, you, you, when you, when you think about that, I, I wish we could get to a, a place like that. And listen, I'm as guilty as a, uh, of a, as everybody that, um, I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing. Everybody wants to be the smartest person in the room. You always want things to go your way, but it's a real complex system and it's full of humans. Really. Yeah. I, I mean, I got to tell you the, one of the hap- when I felt the happiest, like one of the, the key things was just kind of like letting go of ego. Like when you, yeah. you know, realize like you don't have to be the smartest, you don't have to be the most funny, the most intelligent, like whatever metric you're holding yourself to. I mean, to. that would be easier for you than for me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the <laughs> but honestly, the, because um, we, I, I don't know, I think that's what it, what comes down to a lot of time, like, people have this image of themselves that they got to be not necessarily the best or, but just up to some standard and just kind of having that realization that, you know, this is not what defines you. Like it's not the only thing that defines you. If you're the best at work or the smartest at work, you know, like honestly, you look back at it years later, it's like, who cares? You know what I mean? And like just having a little bit of humility add that humility piece and your quality of life, your wellness, your your mental state, I feel like can be dramatically impacted. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think and it's a little bit antithetical to the way we're trained in medicine, right? Like they want you to work hard, develop skills, um, be the best at what you do. I mean, I suppose be the best wasn't the goal, but it was to be very skilled. Um, uh, be, be high level though. Like, right. yeah, like not you want just be, like, be the ultimate academic... And the stakes are high, Big right? Cheese. So no matter where you're working in medicine, it's health and it's the stakes are really high. And um, I think that sometimes it's hard for people to put that mantle down when they interact with other professionals. They, they feel that pressure. Um, they, they feel confident in what they do and the, the way they got there. And um, uh, I think when you, you put it down, you, you, you come down a little bit on that um, and you manage the way you interact and you learn from situations, which it's a hard thing to do. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an active process. I, I think that process at work is something that you have to do. You have to go in there with that attitude every day and correct yourself on it every day because you catch yourself no matter what you're doing, um, kind of getting caught up in stuff uh, because it's part of the, a little bit of the jostling and the fun of medicine is, you know, people, you know, they talk about this service, that service, and they, you know, there's, it's, there's tons of that, but I always tell, I try to kind of relay that, especially as a specialist, I don't know, when you get a consult, you're going to be, you're going to know more about that um, than the person asking. That's why they're asking you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that your job is to be helpful and uh, your job is to try to really provide best care and and you got to listen and, interact so it's i i don't know it's it's a tough balance just don't be just don't be a dick i hate that it's like you know like you know the whatever the person that's consulting you they're consulting you because they don't know i mean they they're looking for help Mm -hmm. so what's the point of making them feel like a an ass you know and and if you give a good consult then maybe you 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 help them get to a point where maybe they don't need that consult but honestly we're just here to do these consults you know so that's the other thing is that and it, it's, you know, it's never hard on a, on a quiet day. It's, it's always on the busy days where I think you get caught in that stuff. But, um, you know, you, I think that's, uh, that's something you strive for uh, and something that you see the best, you know, the people that you 
love and emulate in medicine. Uh, they, they had that idea. You know, the people who were my mentors when I came through internal medicine and gastroenterology, those people were helpful doctors. Yeah. They were there to help people. Like their job was to make the patient's lives better and to accommodate and help the docs who asked for help, you know? Um, and those guys uh, and, and girls um, who you come through medicine under there, it's just, that to me was the defining feature in those people. They didn't make other doctors feel small. No. Um, they didn't make the patients feel <clears throat> small. And it's not that they didn't ever lay out what they thought that should happen, but there was no coercion there in terms of the patients, the patients autonomous. Um, they tried to help the other docs, the other docs were there and they were supposed to be there to facilitate care. And at the end of the day, they wanted to leave um, uh, that profession and the place better than when they got there. Yeah, man. So true. You, you think you, everyone, every one of those doctors with their names on the wall, they were approachable, respectful. But one thing you did say too, that, I think is a beautiful thing is, and which I actually think you see more in community hospitals. It's like, we got one goal, whatever specialty you're in, it's one goal is like to provide the best care for our patients. Like, you know, so it's not, you know, this, it shouldn't be this antagonistic you versus them kind of thing. It's like, we're on the same team. This is one of the blessings that I found about COVID man. It's like when the like when shit was starting to get real, like we have one objective here is to get through this. And it was, it was very unifying. And there was, I mean, there was still struggles with other services and stuff, but at least within our house, it, like I've never felt more unified than, uh, than a time like that, buddy. Yeah. I think uh, COVID has been interesting in that it's stripped away a lot of stuff. Um, and so it, it's been a time where you kind of got back to, you know, when, especially when things here really exploded, uh, or pardon me, in globally, they exploded in Edmonton. We haven't seen massive numbers. You know, the shutdown was really effective for us. Uh, I think that, you know, that stuff um, really kind of stemmed that. And now, you know, you've got this kind of low level ongoing um, disease. But when it stripped down and everything was just emergency care and you stripped down to doing this urgent stuff, I thought that it was a really interesting time in medicine where it was just people doing this like really, you know, it went down to the, the critical levels and um, I never really experienced medicine like that. It's kind of the medicine um, that you feel like you trained for. Um, and while definitely it pushed off a lot of stuff that we needed to do, it was interesting to watch the system scale back because it, you didn't think it was possible. Like if you had told me that that was something we could do, I would have said, there's no way. Um, but then to watch it do it, I was like, Oh man. And so I think that, a big question in that is, uh, and I know this is not, we're, we're talking more about wellness, but I think delivery of care and what we're doing, I don't know. I, I think it really calls into question a lot of stuff. Um, and so post, post, post COVID, I mean, the worst case scenario I think is that everything goes back to how it was. Yeah. And that this is never looked at as a time that could be instructive. It's never looked at as a time that we could rework how we're doing stuff. How could you shut down? 80% of medical care and the world didn't disintegrate. Well, what are, what are you doing with all that money? How are you delivering it? Like, listen, I, I hate to say this in a province, which is kind of under siege by a conservative government that's attacking the medical system. But, you know, I do think that it's a lot of public money and Canada is a place where uh, we are publicly funded and there is responsibility in what we do. And if we're never, looking at how we deliver care uh, and what we're doing, then I don't think that's the due diligence the public needs either. Um, it's not just about seeing a doctor. It's seeing a doctor in a timely fashion, but it's also about seeing a doctor when you need to and not just because there's space. Um, I don't know. I, I think it really called into question a lot of the ways we're, we're providing care and can we do things better? Can we do things more efficiently? And how do you do that? It's a difficult interface. I think the interface between the government and the medical system, um, because the objectives are very different. Mm -hmm. But um, I do think that COVID was, was really interesting. And like you said, there was a short time where, man, everyone was so scared and we were working there and um, it was so unifying to have this common threat 
with all services, everybody understood this common thread. And it was, I, I felt like there was a real spirit of community there because we all were um, facing an unknown thing that we hadn't before. And uh, I, I felt it was in some ways a positive thing for the medical system in places that I was anyway. Absolutely. But <clears throat> I got to hammer home that point though, about how us, the delivery of care, we got to like really think about how some of this shit's getting thrown down. Like yeah. there, I mean, not to downplay, there was a lot of people suffering, I think from, like there's going to be consequences from the medical shutdowns, cancer screening, electives, some electives yeah, that become non-elective. Yeah, I mean, and but, we've, we've seen that post, you know, we've seen yeah. the upswing in things that we're having trouble dealing with. Uh, and there was um, this gray zone of patients who definitely got sick during it. And we saw absolutely. all that because the but message was probably wrong, you know, that, no, that but, but still, in, the, but. but still, yeah, that I think we could have done a better job at like come to motherfucking hospital when you're sick. Man. <laughs> like we, we could have been a bit more, adamant about that but i think the the point though of care delivery like this is i mean this is our whole research platform man is been saying like our status quo on how we deliver care the inefficiencies in the system are ridiculous absolutely ridiculous these redundant tests these you know i can't count how many times somebody get, gets a repeat ct because they came from the you know small town ontario and we, we, we didn't get the discs or... Yeah, you know, I got to say, uh, out right now to Alberta, we're the Amen. most province. Uh, NetCare is our, our provincial EMR. We're going to a provincial... Uh, well, it's our provincial... Provincial kind of epic. Record. You're going provincial epic. Yeah. Or, and yeah. so I will tell you that the connection on a, a properly done EMR, everybody was a little skeptical about it, but the move to that uh, and the connection, like you're saying, hospitals that know what other hospitals are doing tests done in periphery that you know what's happening. You know, you can get a creatinine, doesn't matter where it was done in the province, you can see that. That stuff is Airdrie. massive. Airdrie, okay? <laughs> Shout outs to Airdrie. Shout yeah. out to Airdrie, you know we love you. Westlock, sup? Um, Potaskawin. Yeah. Mm, L- no. Lacombe. No, no <laughs> Yeah, more Lacombe, I gotta say. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, if I were, for example, the Ontario government, straight up, I'd be like, Listen, cats, we're going one EMR. This oh. is what's going to be. Deal with it. Hustle. Madness to not have it. What's that? It's madness to not have it. It is. It is I, I like the madness. amount of money being wasted. It's unbelievable. And I, I mean, that's just an example. But even like, still, uh, I think you're right that, um, I don't know. You know, the problem is that how do you get an organization into to really determine efficiencies of care that still keeps a strong medical sense to it? Because, I mean, I think, I think most medical professionals are trying to do their best. Um, but that doesn't really get you to a point of um, efficiency and you really need oversight. And so, you know, that also comes from big EMRs because when you can track all outcomes and you can start to see what's happening, that data is powerful, you know, that you start to really gather data when you can say, okay, well, here's complication rates. Well, here's your, like you said, repeat CT scans. Here's your emerge visits. Real, like real outcomes too. Like not some of yeah. the stuff like, I don't know, ventilator associated pneumonias kind of thing where like, you know, it's a subjective measure, like stuff that we know that we care about essentially. Um, it's so true. If you got that solid EMR, like Epic, I got to tell you. So you guys full blown Epic now or just a little bit Epic? No, at the U, we are full blown. We have what's called, uh, it's called Connect Care, but it's the Epic system. I worked yeah. on the Epic system uh, when I did a fellowship in California back in 2011, 12. And it was, I, I, I think it was a fraction of what it is now. Uh, we're fully on that system. And um, I, I think it's incredible. It's a bit overwhelming at first because you can get these <laughs> messages uh, from all over the place. There's lots of stuff to figure out. And it probably will take any institution a while to figure that out. But I have to tell you that I think it's transformative in the connections in medicine, the way you can get a hold of a doctor, the way you can get a hold of a service, the conversations you can have. Um, I, I would tell you that anyone who tells, says they want to stay off an EMR uh, and wants to stay on paper charts, all this kind of stuff, that is nonsense. Dinosaur. That is, that is yeah. Dinosaur. Yeah. Adapt or die is my philosophy yeah. with a lot of this stuff. You got to just bring yeah. it. You got to like accept this, accept that is, the sauce. That's probably the crux of, of staying relevant in medicine is that, 
you know, pay attention to the data, evolve and uh, improve, you know, nothing stays stagnant and you have to move with it. And it's hard, right? Like you and I are, are not like fresh out of training anymore like we were. And so you have to keep your head up. You have to keep paying attention for things, but you know, and delivery of care models, I think are greatly enhanced by EMRs. There, there's going to be a period with training wheels. There's going to be a period where things slow down, but that's only so you can improve. And so I, I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of that. And oh, I think it's really, it's really enhanced our care. And as a data researcher kind of cat, man, am I stoked? Like we have, yeah. we've had Epic for a year, a year. Oh, you guys are on the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, a little times not intuitive, but like, um, in terms of, um, the data capacity, it's going to be beautiful. Um, yeah, it's good. Like, um, I can't wait to dance with that. Like our research program is going to just, it's, it's going to be really important. And I think drop the, kick the, things the into the house. <laughs> traffic. Um, the, I think the key to, uh, to staying relevant and, um, and improving care is to know your outcomes. And, um, and that allows that. And I think, uh, as you'd say, low key, all physicians are a little bit nervous of their outcomes, mm-hmm. right? Nobody wants to be up on the wall and said, Oh, how did you do compared to this? Now, listen, those outcomes aren't, it's not always going to be about saying, you know, yours are worse than this person's that's going to have to determine, be determined by the cases you take on and all this other stuff. There's complexity in that, but understanding, outcome and knowing what's actually happening, man, that's important. You know, it's good to, it's, it's just, how do you, how do you improve without the feedback? Like yeah, there's no fear in, in, in knowing where you are. I mean, you, everybody I think wants to be better. And I think that's a nice way that you can use like what we talked about earlier, that physician ego. And you could be like, well, it's too bad. You're right down there at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you see that, Junior? Yeah. That was a swing and a miss. <laughs> that's okay. Take the L, Rupert. but now it's time to really move forward. <laughs> but, I mean, and, and that's okay. I, I, I think it's important. And um, I, uh, I, I think that, you know, as scary as that is, once people get used to it and once it's transparent. Transparency is a big thing in the system too, right? So. Absolutely. Listen, my friend, I think, I think we just threw down a lot of knowledge and game tonight this is very i loved it very impromptu we we're so those that just didn't catch it yeah because we were I, literally uh, like just Claude like, messaged me he's like do you want to do a facebook live i was, i said i don't know what that is and then he, <laughs> i said when do you want to do it and he said 10 minutes and i said okay like, okay <laughs> okay we can do that yeah. and it's lovely lovely to talk to you no this was awesome i'm, I'm glad i mean we're, we're gonna do a show later on I'm trying to think what our next show will be. I, I really actually, to be honest with you, the stuff that I, I, I love talking about was the, um, just like the AI stuff and like where medicine is going. I love that shit. Yeah, I, I think this I is going to be, the big, the big interesting thing with medicine moving forward will be, um, where does a doctor fit in into algorithms that are better the, than the individual doctor? I, and how... There'll still be a place, I think, but I, I, it's going to be interesting because algorithms are going to beat doc almost every time man it's like we're at the stage like was it i've seen it on like mammograms i might i might be screwing up the the uh modality but there's like already radio radiologic things uh uh software that's better than radiologists there's pathology that um software that's better at reading pathology um dermatology uh, uh, programs that can just look at the skin and determine it yeah like all this stuff is coming there's actually so, endoscopic software too now that as you you know you're you're moving through the, the it's like uh this kind of robocop like vision where it just shows you he's like it's just like that's a polyp right there and, yeah. and it tells you is it you know like this stuff is is coming and i think it's going to be a huge aid like i said I think we have to really move forward embracing and looking at that technology and seeing how you can integrate it to do more for more people quicker and more effectively rather than saying, Oh, you know, we don't want to be taken over by robots. I think the, the other part too, is like, like really think about medical education afterwards. Like how are we going to teach our future docs to be relevant? So like, how, you know what I mean? Like, 
Are we going to emphasize some more of these softer skills? Are we going to emphasize more creativity to be able to use this technology in other ways? Like there's so much layers to that. I think they're probably going to have to start to become even more masterful of information integration, right? It'll be about, and and it'll push them to say, you know, the future doctors to say, okay, well, can you figure out where this intersection is of all this pathology and the radiology and the clinical presentation, that intersection will still be important in understanding side effects and outcomes. Um, but it's going to be about information management, I think, because that is where we're going to be. Oh man. Then, and then one of my big, my, my favorite topics is decision-making because yeah. I think we're so bad at it. That's mm-hmm. another layer of all this. Like you take away your biases, the, the algorithms right. telling you this, how to interpret this, Stop thinking about the case that you missed three days ago and what's actually the most objective decision you can make for this patient right now. Yeah, you see it. You see it all the time, right? When you talk to the, especially, you know, when you, you're, you're discussing it with um, one of the residents or someone, they come through, and I think early in medicine, we all fall prey to that, is where they have a bias about what they want it to be. Yes. Not what it is, but they're, they're saying... Pheochromocytoma. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like... You know, the, the Tylenol level is negative, but they're going to check it again just to see later on. <laughs> you know, it's not going to go up. You know, so check, that th- check out the third time. I, I, okay. I feel like, you know, it, the, the approach and the bias is a problem. And, and that, I think, will be the most exciting part of uh, new technology. And all this. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of to un, un, unwrap there. I hate it when podcasters say, let's unpack, let's unpack this and all this. So I almost said it right there. So I'm not. Uh, I, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna say thought, unwrap I you were this. Gonna say it. I was like, was he gonna no, say unwrap. Oh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's let's unpack this a little bit, uh, Christopher. Um, no, I hate that. I don't know. It's like let's dive into this a little, this issue a little bit harder here. I, I, guess. I, I like an unpacking. I th- I like that. <laughs> I just I just I just I need a new word. I'm not improve my vernacular. My vernacular. Your vocabulary. It's my vocab. I got my vocab. Now we're going freestyle. It's really off the hook now, son. This is the end of this. Oh, my this is God. how I figured this would probably start and end. But it's just ending that way, so that's good. Yeah, no, it's good. The, your prayers have been answered. Yes. Um, yeah. But, Brenda, thank you for doing this, buddy. It's always, oh, my pleasure. Anytime. It's always a slice. And, Anytime. yeah, like I said, we're going to do a show in, not, in the not-so-distant future and uh, because the people are asking for it. Asking for it, dog. Well, you know, and I think uh, anything you guys have that's moving forward where you're looking for collaborators and the whole idea of wellness Oh, shit. And medicine, that's right. Yeah. I got to send you that proposal, buddy. I, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. Like, it's basically... You know, man, anything that's also- happening in this, I, this, this field I think is important. It's, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's so uh, ready for people to take on and move forward in. You know, it's the right time. Absolutely, buddy. So I look All forward right. to it. I love you. I, I miss you. I love you too, man. I know, I know COVID, we can't even uh, touch um <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean not like we used to not like not like no big spoon no spoon no i mean your spoon as long as you're wearing a mask and your spoon <laughs> yeah oh three i put on three um I'm not going. I can't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, like out. I'm out. That's I'm all I'm doing. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>